Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. You can find me on this show daily and also my words over at ESPN and NBA Australia. And joining me, as he does often, my good friend from the Bucks Radio Network. Uh, he wears so many hats that I, I don't know which one to, to put on him in this intro, but you can hear him on the Bucks Radio Network. Justin Garcia. Justin, welcome to YouTube. Yes, I uh, I saw parts of the maiden voyage and was curious to see Frank Madden on video. That I think that's what the fans have been waiting for for a long time. I remember coaxing him into turning on the camera when we taped something for Courtside Live last year. But the people have spoken and they finally got to see the face of Frank Madden. Yeah, uh, me and you are not uh, following the dress code. That Frank set for Locked On Bucks. He was very business-like. Had the button-up shirt. I'm wearing this uh, this old-school Bucks shirt, which I actually bought. I, I bought this from Motor Three on the morning of the Mecca game, going back a couple of years ago against the Celtics. I wanted some old Bango gear, so I went and bought this T-shirt. But um, very comfortable, Motor Three. Uh, I, I don't know if they were expecting a plug on today's show, but they've got it anyway. So I said we're going to talk about Giannis, and we'll do that right off the top. Uh, before we get into it, uh, just another reminder for those listening in the your usual way on your usual platform, you can find us now on YouTube. So if you want to jump across either to my Twitter or just search Locked On Bucks on YouTube, you'll be able to subscribe there and help us out. We're already over 300 subscribers. We've only had one episode, Justin. So people seem to be enjoying it. I don't know why they would want to look at me. Maybe they want to look at Frank. Maybe they just want Frank's dog Dudley. But either way, uh, we appreciate the support and everyone that's uh, helping us out there. So let's get into the Yana stuff. And I thought about this topic because I was on Locked On Mavericks yesterday and the listeners of the Locked On Mavericks podcast voted the Bucks as one of the most interesting teams coming into this season. Yeah, defending champions, I think that makes some sense. But one of the topics we got into talking about was who are the players to watch on this team? And the other day, Justin, you were on the podcast. We spoke about which player are you looking forward to watching not named Giannis, Chris, or Drew. But I always find myself talking about the Bucks that it always comes back to Giannis. And Giannis is the reason this team is going to be so watchable. And I, I always just find this fascination coming into a season. Where is he going to get better? Because he always does. Well, um, did you reference Grayson Allen when they asked you about players to watch on the team? And did you bring up Grayson Allen's name? And they thought we we did not expect to be <laughs> discussing Grayson Allen when talking about the Bucks. Um, you know, it's funny because I think everything that we've talked about with Giannis's career growth and just his overall trajectory when you look at the first few years in the league and how he got better and those stats in all major categories improving each year. And I think for the longest time, 
we pointed to the three point shot and if he can develop this and even the mid range and can he improve his free throws, but we saw him make strides in the playoffs in the final two rounds to the volume and levels that you, you usually see over the course of a year or a couple of years where it feels like he's really transformed his game yet again to almost a traditional big man and playing like a center and, you know, like guys of yesteryear. And I think that's really what best suits him that when you talk about all these things you want to see him add, you know, for me, would it be great if he could shoot the three more consistently? Sure. I think we would point to the mid-range and the free throws even more than the threes now. But the way that he played in those final two rounds of the playoffs, really the final three with the Nets series, you get the sense of, okay, this is kind of Giannis unlocking things and figuring out there's nobody in the league that can stop me if I play like this near the basket, that it feels like that's what we're going to see and a little less of Giannis wandering behind the free throw line and, and nor near the uh, three-point line that – to me, it sounds crazy, but I kind of feel good with where his game is at, that we saw those adjustments late in the playoffs and him playing like a traditional center seven-footer, and that's what I'm fine with. I would love a more consistent hook shot or a turnaround shot and that consistency. So some of the things he started to tinker with, I think just getting more consistent at it, but looking at what he did late, I don't really look at one component and say, I wish he could do this, that I think he started to figure things out more especially in that finals round. Yeah, because he doesn't actually really need to. I mean, this is the this is the funny part about this conversation that we're having. I mean, we had a whole episode yesterday that if you missed, you can go back and check it out. We were talking about the legacy of Giannis because at the age of 26, you're talking about a guy that's a two-time MVP, finals MVP, all-star MVP, uh, how many all-star nods he's had, all-NBA, defensive player of the year, most improved player of the year. So you can keep going down the list. So the fact that we're trying to say what does he he need to do, it's not that he needs to do anything because he doesn't. But I like your point about the three-point shot because I always come back to a podcast that I was listening to and this isn't – a number of people have made this point, but I just remember listening to it in this time. It was Zach Lowe and Jeff Van Gundy. And Jeff Van Gundy spoke about Giannis and the three-point shot and what it would mean – if he was able to knock down threes and he kind of said, well, nothing. And if you're, if you're asking me what I would do if I was coaching against Giannis, if he's hitting threes, like how would it change how I defend him? It probably wouldn't at all. And, and so uh, that's come more into my thinking as, as I've watched him play, because we've seen him have big nights where he's hit threes. The game against the Lakers is a couple of seasons ago, just comes straight to mind when he hit the five threes. And I, I remember watching that game and saying, you know, that was a fun win. That was an awesome performance from Giannis, but it's not something that you can hang your hat on if you're a Bucks fan. And come playoff time and come the NBA Finals, it's not really a way that you can rely on winning because even if Giannis makes massive improvements from the three-point shot, he's not going to be Kevin Durant. He's not going to be Steph Curry. So, so that isn't a way that you're going to win a championship, in my opinion. Yeah, um, and I... It was funny, too, because the second game of the season against the Warriors on Christmas Day at home, Steve Kerr made basically the same point before the game and said, you know, if if he starts to hit three pointers, uh, the question was asked to him, same thing of, of what does that change or how do you defend him differently? And, and Steve Kerr's point was it doesn't. I mean, if, if he becomes a consistent <laughs> three point shooter, then it's over that we're still going to give him wide open threes and just pack the paint. So if he's going to knock that down, 
then I guess there's nothing that we could do. I guess if if we're going to nitpick, because that's what this is doing with a guy that, as you pointed out, in the last three years has won two MVPs, an all-star game MVP, a finals MVP, <laughs> and an NBA championship. Um, I would, I guess if, if we're going to get that granular, some of the things we talked about with the mid-range game and just the more consistent hook shot and shots other than dunks and layups around the basket. Um, but I guess a, a tighter handle too, not that he's overly loose with the ball, but for how often the ball is in his hands and he's initiating, if he could become a little bit better of a ball handle. I mean, again, we're really nitpicking here, but those are the little things that I would I would point to of more shots other than just dunks around the basket and a tighter handle. All right, so I've got some numbers in relation to some of the uh, you know potential shots or additions he could make to his game. So I want to get to them in a little bit, but first I'll talk about Direct TV Stream. Uh, does this uh, sound familiar to you, Justin? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I can tell you a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in the one place. That means there's no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. So just prior to... This show, I was watching uh, my fellow Aussie, Josh Lloyd, over on the Locked On Fantasy podcast. And I don't play fantasy basketball, but our friends at Sleeper have got me a little bit intrigued when it comes to potentially sucking it up and playing some fantasy basketball this year. So I'll I'll tell you what Sleeper are doing. In In 2018, the fantasy sports experts at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. Games were being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games that week. It made no sense and required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's called Game Pick, and it's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, Owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count toward their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. The days of losing because your opponent's players simply had more scheduled games, uh, they're over. You don't have to worry about that anymore. So sleepers crack the fantasy basketball code. If you can play fantasy football, if you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love game picks. Download the sleeper app and start a league with your friends today you will not be disappointed. We were just before the break, we were talking about the sleeper app. And I've said when it comes to fantasy basketball, the obvious choice would be Chris Milton against the Celtics. You know, he's going to tear them to shreds. But I did tweet about Giannis's numbers during the NBA finals. So the last week really and i think this was brought on by having nick monroe on the podcast uh, but i've gone through and i've watched the all access for uh, every playoff game so i i finished that up last night and i tweeted about his numbers during the nba finals uh, up over 36 points per game 11 rebounds just absolutely absurd obviously he had a 50 point game a number of 40 point games including one in the regular season where the Bucks lost and the performance kind of gets forgotten, but he was immense in that game and had 47 points. And one thing that has stood out to me 
has certainly been his ability to get to, let's say, between five and nine feet. So it, they can they can still be uh, shots in the paint, um, but they're not at the rim. So I wanted to see where his numbers are at because there was a number of times during the finals and during the postseason where he pulled out a, a little pu- a push shot a couple of times. Yeah. He did that, a little hook shot. The shot that really stands out to me is in overtime in Game 7 a- against the Nets where the Bucs couldn't score. I mean, they went over three minutes without scoring a single point. There was really no reason they should have been still in that game, but um, they were scrapping on defense. Everyone was on their last legs at that point. And he took he had Durant in the post uh, and, and dribbled to the middle, threw up a little hook. It was kind of like a hook slash push shot, and I don't know whether that's because that's more comfortable for him or he's just not that fluid in, the, in that motion. He's never had the, the best touch around the basket, but it dropped. And we've said this for a long time, but that shot, what, what are you going to do about that? I mean, you you can throw a double team at him if you want. Uh, we saw at times during the regular season where he would go t- to the middle, and then he would. It's it wasn't a hook shot, but it was like a, a little uh, mid range fadeaway, but from short distance, and they would send a double, and then he was dumping the ball off. He went through a phase where he was using that as a method to draw the defense and get a guy a, an easy bucket that was standing there in a dunker spot. So it it doesn't necessarily just mean scoring, but I think that area of the floor is super dangerous for him to get to. So less than five feet from the basket last year, Yana seventy eight point eight percent. Obviously, it's just it's ridiculous. I mean, that number is just absolutely absurd. So seventy eight point eight percent within five feet. Five to nine feet, he was 33.1%, which is, is dreadful. I mean, for good. Yeah. no, for, for a guy that can get to that spot uh, a lot of the times whenever he wants, and I know there's a lot of traffic in there, there's a lot of crowd, but he can get there and he's too big and he's too long to really have his shot blocked. 33.1% is not great, but it's really been in that area his entire career. The only really outlier season was 2018 where he was 38.6% which still isn't isn't great but i mean it's yeah, it's not yeah. low 30s. Yeah, i mean we're talking about the outlier still being below 40%. Yeah. So it's not great. I'd be curious to see too um not even well keeping it at the the ranges but also what side of the quarter where it's coming from because it seems like when he does get to that area and he does that turnaround fadeaway of sorts shot that we saw him take quite a bit more of this past season when he's on the baselines it seems like he is just not comfortable with that and it's really just when he's facing the basket that he's found more comfort with that that the baseline turnaround fadeaways just seem to still be a work in progress and I think that that modified hook slash push shot that you talked about earlier seems to be what he is most comfortable with if he's not going to be directly at the rim and getting a dunk. But it it was just, you know, I, I think what I talked about at the top of seeing the growth that he made really the entire playoffs, but I, it really sped up in those final few rounds. You noticed, too, just once you got out of the net series, and that may have been the training ground for him where everything really clicked, because he had to work so hard to get to the basket and then be economical with those shots. And that's where the hook, the push shot that you talked about, I think that was half of their points in that overtime mm-hmm. game of game seven, where he tied the score and then, and then Chris had the other basket to win it. But once you got past the net series, it was almost like going from playing at the varsity level to playing JV, where all of a sudden Atlanta still had some size, but 
they didn't have guys that were really physical and bodying him and, and stopping him from getting to the basket that you just realized, wow. I mean, Blake Griffin may have been the biggest obstacle I had of stopping me from getting to the basket. And now that's gone. So, you know, that's the other thing too. When you look around, what can he do more of the way that he played in the finals, especially as more of a traditional big, when you look around the league, we can point to maybe four or five teams that you'll say, okay, personnel wise, they have guys that are going to make it tough for him to play that style, which is a little different from what we would say in, in seasons past, where you look at guys like Al Horford was the Giannis stopper and guys that were more athletic and agile and could move um, laterally is who you would look at and say, well, they have the length and the strength and they can keep up with him. And I think that's kind of changed where now you're looking at maybe more traditional bigs and saying, you're going to have to stop him from getting to the rim. And in the past, it was Giannis playing away from the basket and getting there, but now he's going to be setting up shop there. So I think that also changes who the Giannis stoppers are or those personnel matchups you look at and say, this team could make it difficult for him. And, and I think that's what we saw in the playoffs, going from a guy like Blake to what the rest of the league was. Yeah, it's, I'm glad that you brought up Blake Griffin because it is funny to think about it here in 2021, but he was the guy that probably had the most success. And I think it's important to point out that when we are discussing what could help the Bucks win another championship, what can help make life easier for Giannis, there's really still only a couple of teams that this is really a problem against. You know, I mean, like you, you saw against Atlanta, but most most teams in the league, Giannis can just bully them and dunk all over them, which is why I think his commitment to wanting to get better and wanting to improve is so unique because you see a lot of players and they say, well, why do I need to do that? I mean, look at me. I, I, yeah. But but we've seen Giannis and maybe it was through learning lessons of losing in the postseason, but um, or it's just built in him to be that, that hard worker that he is, but he doesn't slow down. Um, before we move on to some Ben Simmons stuff, you did mention the free throws and look, we, we can't really have this podcast without at least bringing up the numbers. So uh, I am fascinated to see what game six of the NBA finals does for him because we've almost given up on this show. And we know Frank, it's, I mean, he just, it's caused him many sleepless nights, Giannis missing free throws, but it has always been a, a thing in the playoffs. It's always been an issue for him in the playoffs. Even if you go back to 2017, he was 77% from the free throw line, which Everyone here, everyone listening to this podcast would take that. If he can get back to 77% in 2017, that was. But even that season, he went down to 54% in the playoffs. And then 2018, he was at 76%. And that went down to 69% in the playoffs. So it's been historically the playoffs where he's really been at his worst from the free throw line. So as much as we talk about it's this mechanically, it's this mechanically. And I always say, I'm not a shooting coach. I, I don't know. Like you see things that are noticeable, but ultimately it always felt like it was a mental thing. If you shoot 17 for 19 under the most pressure you can physically be under in a basketball, we're trying to clinch a title. I have to imagine that there's no situation that can rattle you moving forward. I'm at least intrigued. I'm looking forward to it. I'm intrigued to see what this does for him. Uh, from a confidence or, or mental standpoint. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know we've all kind of talked about him playing a little different during the finals and, and during the conference finals where it was basically Giannis is the five. And he, you would have to assume that's not that he ever didn't get to the free throw line at a high clip as it was, but 
you got to believe he's probably going to get there maybe more now that he's going to be playing even closer to the basket. We assume that uh, he's going to be going to the line more and maybe that's going to help him with getting into rhythm. And as we, we've seen numerous stretches, which I think is really the most maddening part of it is you'll see these stretches where he's shooting close to 80%. Remember just after the new year last year, he went on a month long stretch where he was an 80% shooter at the free throw line for a while, for about six weeks. And then he, hits these other stretches on the other end of the bell curve where it, it just drops down. I think what did help quite a bit in the playoffs, and a lot of people talked about it too, was the counting that <laughs> now that's kind of out of sight, out of mind. So he may not encounter it again until you get to the playoffs, but it's not going to go away. But it did seem to help him get into a rhythm. So maybe it's just more sample size and, and getting to the free throw line more because I know we've talked about this on this show before. It does seem, and I, I do want to say the numbers back it up too, because I remember looking at this at one point in the playoffs. When he gets to the line 15, 16, 17 times, and he had a couple of stretches where it wasn't just a one-off, it was happening pretty frequently, that's when he starts to get into that rhythm and hit free throws at a 75% clip or so. So if he's going to be there more, then maybe that's something that is going to help push him closer you know, 77 week grade, I think we'd all settle for if he could be low 70s, we'll take that too. Yeah, getting above 70 would be nice. And you bring up the counting and, you know, I, I do feel for uh, the money counting guy in Phoenix. He's going to have to get a new job. I don't know what he's going to do, but I tell you what he can do with the money. He can buy built bars, Justin. Now, uh, we were talking about built bar with Frank yesterday. He wrongly accused me of being a coconut hater. I'm not a coconut hater. I love the coconut built bars. They're actually my favorites. But the beauty of Bilba is that there is a freedom of choice. So if you don't like coconut, if you want to eat, what what do you like, Justin? What's your favorite? Oh, man. Uh, well, sadly, I think some of the ones that Frank listed were my favorites, and he pointed them out as his <laughs> least favorite. So um, I'm with him, though. Like the, the ones that tend to be more like ice cream, okay. But I think my favorite is either the peanut butter or the mint. Yep. Okay. That's a fair choice. Well, mint brownies there, obviously peanut butter, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, which Frank is not, not a big fan of, but you can find them all at built.com. Uh, these bars are healthy for you. Uh, we know that's the best tasting protein bar that's ever been made. Just go to built.com and use the promo code locked and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code locked for 15% off at built.com. And I tell you what, there is a big Packers game coming up this weekend. I'm even looking forward to watching it. I'm not a Packers fan. I just, the, the Twitter timeline goes nuts. I, I find myself getting sucked into it. But if you are someone who's into sports gambling, and if that's your type of thing, go to betonline.ag because it's your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season with a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests. BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football, but there's other sports, basketball, boxing. We know the NBA season's right around the corner. They've got Vegas casino games, so you can check it all out at BetOnline, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. Why don't we move on to Ben Simmons? Are we doing this? Uh, we we having this chat? I feel like we've spoken about Ben Simmons before on this show because, in all honesty, it really does relate to the Bucks. I mean, we look at the East again. My tears in the East. You've got Brooklyn and Milwaukee at the top. Philadelphia. I would have thought if they were at full strength, we're probably there or thereabouts. You're talking about the team that had the best record in the Eastern Conference last season, but. 
with this mess, with the Ben Simmons situation, with him saying that he's not going to turn up to training camp at all, he never wants to play for the Sixers again. I mean, it, it really is meaningful. And it feels like for the second season in the row, there is a trade, potentially a major trade, that could alter the course of the Eastern Conference. We saw it last year with James Harden. Now we're going into a, uh, I would argue, more messy situation with Ben Simmons than it was with James Harden. But either way, it's it's getting ugly. Yeah, and and a trade early in the season too. Yeah. That you know the Harden trade for where it occurred on the calendar, and, and Ben Simmons, I know, is hoping something will happen in the next two weeks here. But I would assume that's something that it's definitely going to resolve itself before the trade deadline. And the interesting part of it is um, what they get in return for him determines a lot about those tiers that I still have a hard time believing they, they can get any type of value in return that would put them on the level of the Bucks and the Nets. So they're still going to be below there. And especially if you look at what it seems like the value is, the going rate for Ben Simmons, it's I question whether or not the results of that trade, assuming one happens, are going to push them ahead of Miami or even the Atlanta Hawks, who I think people are forgetting. Yeah, they had some things break their way, but they're bringing back basically the entire team, drafting Jalen Johnson, who who knows what contributions he can give his rookie year, that there's still a lot to like about that Atlanta team. So what Philadelphia gets is going to determine a lot in the Eastern Conference and just how stacked the top of that East is. But part of you just looks at the roster too and thinks if they don't get a star for Ben Simmons, which at this point you have to, it feels like from everything that you've gone through, if you don't get a star in return for him and you look at what's around Joel Embiid there, it's Tobias Harris. And you know we've seen him here in Milwaukee and, and I think, Everybody has heard the Tobias Harris conversation each year in the playoffs of is he in 82 versus 16, as I know people like to kick that around, but it seems like he's one of those guys. And Seth Curry, who can knock down threes, but there's questions on the defensive end and, and matchups and everything else that it feels like it is a very, very flawed roster. And if they don't knock it out of the park and get a star back that can score and play on both ends of the court, that's a team that may fall below the top four or five spots in the Eastern Conference, especially if Joel Embiid can't stay healthy. And this is a guy who has missed 15 to 20 games basically every year that he's been a full-time player. Yeah, so I look at this a couple of ways. I don't see it like I did last year where I was, if you're a Bucks fan, you were watching the situation with James Harden thinking, geez, this is this is potentially scary. And ultimately it was when he went to Brooklyn. Now, of course, we know they weren't healthy. We'll see what happens this season, but I don't see that this year because, again, you come back to where the value is at. Last year, it didn't really matter what James Harden did, whether he was overweight, unprofessional. It didn't matter. He was going to make a team really good. His value was going to stay really high. With Ben Simmons, it's not the case. And we've already seen the Sixers going to damage control a little bit. I didn't see the interview, but I saw some of the quotes. Doc Rivers was on first take really Months later, by the way, trying to backpedal from some of the right. stuff they said after the game. And it's like, okay, well, it's a little bit too late now. The guy's not showing up. And now you want to say that you want to have him back in Philadelphia? Come on. You haven't been saying that for the last few months. So I would agree. And I'm someone who thinks Ben Simmons is, is really good. I mean, if he did hang around in that Philadelphia team, I would expect them again to be there in the top three seeds. Now, could they succeed in the postseason? Who knows? The funny thing about this is that 
they actually have two guys that match up really well with Giannis. They have a third defensive guy in Matisse Thibel who you could put on Chris Middleton. So as much as we we like to joke about the Sixers, they've always been a playoff series that I was curious to see how it would play out. And I didn't really know just because of the defensive versatility they have. So yeah, I I think Bucks fans should be really intrigued by this. I think they should be keeping an eye on on what the trade coming back is. But I tend to agree with you. I don't really see a situation right now where the Sixers are going to get better unless, and this is something to definitely keep an eye on, the two names would be Bradley Beal and, of course, maybe the next level, Damian Lillard, if things start out really poor in Portland. Just, just keep an eye on it because if they start poorly, something could happen, particularly if, if Ben Simmons is, is holding out and he's at home. Yeah, I was going to say the the whole fear factor that you pointed to, I would agree because those are the two names in Beal and Lillard. Beal so far has given no indication that he wants out of Washington. And I know they totally retooled the roster. So if it doesn't work out and they get off to a slow start, then maybe you reconsider that, I guess, if you're Bradley Beal. But it feels like that's a team that they're not in the conversation of obviously the top tier teams, but it does feel like they're in a much better spot now than they've been recently, just in terms of younger talent that they brought in and, and Damian Lillard. I mean, it, it seemed as though we were headed towards a divorce there as soon as <laughs> the off season began. But if you're Portland, I mean, I, I agree with you that I think we've gone too far against Ben Simmons. Most people now that it's gone from a very intriguing, promising young guy to absolute trash depending on who you ask and he's not that but that's still a tough sell I think if you're Portland to see the face of your franchise and a guy who may be the greatest blazer of all time uh, just in terms of what he's done statistically um, to have him exit and what you bring back is Ben Simmons at this level of where his value is I just don't see it so that's the interesting part is if they don't knock this out of the park you could make the argument of we're better off. I know he doesn't want to be here, but if we keep him, we're going to finish with a better record. We're going to be a top three team, at least top four team in the East. And if we make this trade where we just move him and and bring in 80 cents on the dollar and try to get up to that level of let's bring in two or three players for him that can do this and this and this, you might be in that lower half of the Eastern conference then because you don't have that dynamic player that changes things because Philly won last year because of their defense. Mm -hmm. And if Joel Embiid can't stay on the court and if Ben Simmons is gone, that's a huge knock on your defense. And that puts a lot of added pressure on guys like Tobias Harris and Seth Curry and even Matisse Tybel to produce offensively. Then that's Aussie Matisse uh, to you, Justin. And uh, you're right, but you know, desperation does funny things to people and, we asked going down a path where desperation might come into this. Uh, I, I, media day is a few few days away. I'm excited for the Bucks media day on Monday. I'll be jumping in. They're letting they're letting me come in on Zoom from inter, they're letting the internationals in again. Just what a franchise! But I'll be having my eyes on the Philadelphia 76ers media day as well because it could be fascinating to watch some of the quotes you get out of there. I'm tipping they're all going to be pretty complimentary of Ben Simmons, which is going to be pretty funny uh, to hear. As we wrap this up, Justin, I'll remind everyone about the Locked On Bets podcast on the network. Make sure you check it out. Those guys have been uh, on a roll uh, lately, particularly when it comes to the NFL. So your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports uh, hosting the Locked On Bets podcast. So check it out. But Justin, I said this to Frank yesterday. 
episode two on uh, YouTube. You've survived. We've survived. I, I think it's worked okay. I, I think we're just hanging in there. Yeah, I was telling you before we started recording, it, it was giving me um, some serious courtside live vibes for when I would seemingly have to ask you every other week if you wanted to jump on and do something on video with me for that. So between this and getting back on camera, and as you alluded to, Media Day is Monday, I did receive the invite, so I will be there in person that now the season is really here, that it is, uh, it's less than two weeks away from the first preseason game. Yep, it's absolutely crazy. Just a couple of days away, I can't even believe it. And the other thing that this YouTube show has allowed us to do for those that are watching on YouTube, you'll you know, have to congratulate Justin. They, when PJ Tucker moved out of town, Justin moved into his apartment. <laughs> PJ Tucker left some shoes behind, as you can see uh, behind here on the on the scene. So, yeah, congratulations to you, Justin. But uh, I will say tomorrow, the plan is to have Laurie Nickel from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel on. She's covered. The Bucks, the Packers, the Brewers, all Wisconsin sports. So I'm really fascinated to talk to her about the comparisons between Giannis and Aaron Rodgers and the way they go about it and the differences in covering those games. She did a really cool story with Giannis back when he was 19 in his early days in Milwaukee and tons of other features. Tony Snell is one that stands out um, to me as well, a guy that doesn't talk to anyone. And Laurie had this fantastic story there. So Laurie will be a lot of fun on tomorrow. tomorrow's show. Make sure you check it out. Thanks again. For everyone for listening and subscribing and supporting the YouTube show. But for now, for Justin and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll catch you guys tomorrow.